HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, we continue our trade series with a piquant look at the many faces of the spice trade. From the high price tag of saffron to the ubiquity of chilies and the potential ripple effect that farmer protests in India may have on the global spice market. You know, farmers are, are protesting because they feel like their lives and livelihoods are on the line. You find it in a lot of cured foods like cured meat and Parmesan cheese. Um, you also find it in ripening foods like ripe tomatoes are very high in uh, MSG. So there's sources of it all over the natural world. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. It's really exciting to think about talking to a global audience, especially right now. But you know what? We've been on the air for more than 10 years and have been broadcasting around the world for a long time. I'm wondering, how did you find us today? What's your favorite podcasting platform? Did you find us on Stitcher, Spotify, right at heritageradionetwork.org? Or maybe you found us on iTunes. If you found us on a podcasting platform, it would be really fantastic if you could subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Every little bit helps to have the content bubble up on the screen, and who knows, you might help somebody in another part of the world discover today's show. Today we are continuing some ideas that we've been talking about, which are how to turn in real-life experiences into virtual experiences. It's something that we've been talking about for a while on Tech Bytes. We've done shows on virtual reality experiences and conferences that happen online. But with the COVID-19 pandemic and the world being much quieter and physically distant, figuring out a way to turn something in real life into something you can stream onto your laptop has really become an important question. And today, I'm really happy to have with us um, two people who are producing, performing, and working on a really amazing uh, interactive dinner theater performance called Bollywood Kitchen. We have with us today 
Sri Rao, who is the writer, performer, and conceiver of the whole Bollywood Kitchen idea, along with David Bengali, who is the video designer and the director of photography and animation on the project. To back up, though, before we get to this performance, Los Angeles in California was certainly one of the first cities and states here to sort of start to shut down and have people stay at home last year in March. And the Geffen Playhouse in Los Angeles really kind of maybe got out first and started doing uh, interactive streaming little bits and pieces of content and performance. And they created the Geffen Stayhouse, which is really theater coming to you while you stay at home. So Bollywood Kitchen is the third piece, production piece that they've been working on. It is playing now. It will run through March 6th, 2021. And it's really an interesting, fun kind of thing. I, I was lucky enough to, to participate in the performance last week. And I have to say, it was really interesting. But we, before we get to that, let's talk with Sri Rayo and talk about his Bollywood Kitchen idea, because this is actually a project that has been several years in the making, turns out. Sri, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for having us. Now, tell us about your Bollywood Kitchen book. Um, it's an interesting story because you're not a chef, you're not a restaurant person, um, and you're not an interactive dinner theater person either. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I am none of these things. <laughs> which but makes here it sound like you I are. Have no credentials. <laughs> but which, but you actually are. I mean, it's a really um, it's a it's a great journey in terms of how all these pieces came together to create this performance. Yeah, well, it all started as a book. I'm a writer and a filmmaker, but I am not a chef. And I never even considered um, writing a book uh, because I'm a screenwriter. But um, I decided to write this book called Bollywood Kitchen, which is a cookbook slash coffee table book where I take my favorite Bollywood films and pair with each one a menu of home-cooked Indian food. So it's sort of like a dinner and a movie concept. And the way that that came about is because, honestly, I had just been to too many cocktail parties where the same questions kept coming up over and over again, which is that people would um, always ask me about Bollywood since they had heard that I have worked in that film industry, the Indian film industry. And most people have heard the word Bollywood, but they don't know exactly what it is and how to make sense of it. So um, I often was asked, can you recommend a movie or two that I can check out on Netflix or Amazon to get a taste of what Bollywood is? And so I kind of had my go-to list of films that I would recommend. And then simultaneously, I would also get questioned a lot oh, can you tell me what your favorite Indian restaurant is to go to in whatever city I was in at that time, New York or LA or wherever the case may be. And I would always have to explain to people that I don't actually eat at too many Indian restaurants because I am Indian American. We eat um, Indian food at home and home-cooked Indian food is actually quite different than what you get at restaurants. You know, we don't make chicken tikka masala at home. Chicken tikka masala is technically not even really Indian. Um <laughs> So people would ask me if I if they could have a recipe of one of my mom's um, home-cooked dishes. And so I started emailing out recipes to friends and acquaintances. And finally, I decided that I would put both of those ideas into a book. And, and that's how Bollywood Kitchen came to be. There's so many interesting pieces that go into the Bollywood Kitchen book. And 
Um, I, I don't want to give away too many details because my guess is that probably a lot of people who listen to this episode might actually be at one of the upcoming performances. And there are some um, real surprises and very personal moments um, that Sri has throughout the course of the show. So I don't want to give too much away. But what I will say is it's so interesting when um, you realize that um, culturally, especially if we're you know, like our native cuisines of the culture that we're from is so different what we eat at home in home cooking than what is presented, uh, you know, to the rest of the world in a restaurant environment. And I think that's the case for so many cuisines. And I think it's anytime a cuisine is not native to the place that it's in, you sort of get that effect. Notably, I, I was born and raised in Hawaii. And of course, we have lots of um Asian communities and Chinese communities. And we would go to Chinese restaurants when I was growing up and everybody had their favorite dishes. I had some favorite dishes. And when I started traveling later in life and would go to a Chinese restaurant in Paris or go to a Chinese restaurant in London or go to a Chinese restaurant in uh, Thailand, the Chinese food was different than from mm -hmm. the Chinese food that I had. And it was yeah. so perplexing to me because, you know, it's still Chinese food and it's in a different place and in a different context, but it was all just very, very different. And um, I think similarly, probably to the experiences that you had in terms of eating your home cooking, which was probably the result of what your parents grew up eating and then amalgamated together in your home in Pennsylvania. And then, you know, some other experience that people are having, you know, in L.A. at their favorite Indian restaurant. Yeah, so in the case of Indian food in America, the restaurants that have been founded here, and, and just to say that our immigrant community is very young. Immigration from India was only legalized in 1965. So um, prior to that, there was no, there's virtually no immigration from India um, because there were very racist um, and xenophobic uh, immigration laws in the United States prior to 1965. So in the course of the last however many, that 40, 50 years that that has been, most of the Indian in restaurants in America um, primarily represented food from one particular in, uh, region in India. It's North India primarily, and in particular, Punjab. Um, so a lot of the restaurants that were founded here in the 80s, um, for example, were founded by Punjabi chefs. And, and then since then, in the, in the last 10 to 15 years, there have been more regional Indian restaurants that have popped up. A lot of South Indian restaurants have popped up, particularly in places like the Bay Area, where there's a, a lot of high-tech um, uh, uh, people um, from India. But uh, all of that is representative of the restaurant cuisine in America. At home, um, are the food that we have eaten as Indian Americans is very different. And actually, the interesting thing is that it's a lot more um, unified across the country. Um, so my parents are from South India, for example. Um, David's family is from a different region of India. Other folks are from, you know, different regions in India. And, reg and India being a very regional country, the cuisine in India varies from state to state. But here in America, we all tend tended to grow up eating the same types of food because of the ingredients that were available to our moms here in America at our local grocery stores. So things like chickpeas and kidney beans and green beans and um, vegetables that were really common in America became sort of the staples of what our moms made regardless of where they came from in India. Um, and so that's a lot of um, the food that's reflected um, in my book. And also other interesting 
Americanizations of Indian food. For example, I grew up eating beef, and beef curry is one of my mom's best dishes. Um, Arpitha Mukherjee, who's the uh, director of our show, she grew up eating tuna curry um, made with canned tuna. Um, And beef and canned tuna are not things that you would find in India, but our moms got them easily here, much much more easily than they could have gotten, say, lamb or mutton, which are more common in India, and um, they Indianized them. And I think that we've all generally had that kind of an experience growing up as Indian Americans. The book is so personal um, in terms of your story and your family recipes. And it's it's a personal uh, study. Did you learn a lot of these things while you were writing the book? Or were they things that you sort of just always knew that were a part of, you know, the talk at your kitchen table or with, you know, friends and relatives that you just collected in the book? Or did you discover a lot of these things through the process of deciding to capture it all and finally get those recipes from your mom? (laughs) Well, I would like to say that I had the foresight to realize what the book was going to be when I started writing it, but I really didn't. When I got the book deal, I thought that I was just writing a colorful coffee table book, a cookbook that had some really beautiful pictures of Bollywood movies and some great recipes in it. But when I actually started writing the book over the course of the two years that it took me to complete it is when I realized that the story was actually a lot deeper, that the reason that I've always gravitated towards Bollywood movies and the reason that I've been um, such a fan of my mom's home cooking is because they connected me to my heritage in this way that I never realized before. You know, I was born and raised in a small town in Pennsylvania where we were one of the only families of color in the entire community. And um, I wasn't... um, I wasn't directly connected to India because we traveled there very rarely. Um, But the way that I learned about India and my culture is through this food, these amazing dinners that my mom prepared for us every night at six o'clock, dinners that I absolutely took for granted until I started writing the book and realizing, you know, um, how intricate these recipes are and how much work it takes to recreate them. And then I also learned about uh, my heritage through these Bollywood movies that we would watch every evening at home. Um, it's how I learned the language, how I learned how to speak Hindi. Um, it's how I learned about the music of India. And so as I started writing the book, I realized that this is not just a dinner and a movie cookbook. It's really a story about my immigrant identity and my family's journey and how we are tied together through this food and these films. And that is all of the rich material that informed the play um, that we're now presenting. So you published the book in 2017, which was years ago. And I'm sure back then when it came out and um, you were doing the the press tour with the book, you could not have imagined what was going to happen in 2020. I don't think any of us (laughs) would have. But this was something that was just such a natural to be a performative experience. And I don't want to say dinner theater, but uh, we'll say dinner theater because it's sort of what that, you know, the, the easiest way to explain it. You were in the process of trying to develop something where you could integrate, you know, a live audience or people to be able to participate in the experience. So initially when you were, when you were going in that direction to sort of evolve it into something that was interactive, what had you imagined initially? 
When I went on the book tour, it was a really great experience because every city that we went to, we had a different type of event. So at one city, I might be um, hosting a dinner at a restaurant. In another city, I might be um, giving a speech at a museum. But in every case, we had a unique combination of food and music and dancing. Um, so we might be serving dinner, but then we'd have Bollywood dancers come in. Or um, we might be doing a book signing, but then afterwards, we'd have a dance tutorial and teach people how to do Bollywood dance. So it became clear when I returned from the tour that there was something theatrical about this um, this concept. And it was, it was so much fun that we started thinking about how to adapt this into an immersive theatrical show. And that's what we were developing prior to the pandemic. It was an immersive theater piece where we would serve food, but also um, have dancers and musicians and actors who were telling a story while you were eating and, 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 and listening to amazing uh, music and storytelling. So you have this project in development, and then we have the pandemic. And I think the the idea of the Geffen Stay House is just brilliant. I mean, the idea of a stay house, um, you know, in a former life, I worked in advertising, and it's that is such a great turn of phrase. It makes me mad that I didn't think of it, you know. <laughs> it's just so good. So they actually reached out to you in terms of creating a uh, a virtual streaming stay-at-home production for this. Yes, they did. So they were aware of the larger musical that we had been developing. Um, and so um, I got a call from Matt Shackman, who is the artistic director of the um, of the Geffen. And he said, is there a version of that that we could do um, for this new stay-house uh, medium that we have been developing. And at the time, you know, we were in the middle of the pandemic and I was sort of game for anything. So it sounded like an interesting idea. I said yes. And then we started to figure out what that meant. And Matt and Amy, um, who also works at the Geffen, they knew sort of what the general parameters of the concept were because they had already done two shows in the State House prior to that. And the one parameter was that it would be from my home um, that I would be, uh, that we would be shooting the show or, or producing the show. Um, so that was interesting um, immediately because I was never supposed to be in the show. The original version that we had been developing was with actors and trained performers and musicians. But all of a sudden now they were saying it would be from my home because of COVID. That's the only way that, you know, these things can be made is in very, with very limited crew and, and in someone's home as opposed to in a theater. Um, so that became the first, uh, I don't want to say wrench, but sort of the first uh, unexpected twist in the conceptualization pivot, pivot, of, the pivot of the show. in reimagining the <laughs> yes. performance, the first pivot. Right, that was the first Cast pivot. Cast of one, and it's you. <laughs> yes, and it's me. <laughs> um, and the second pivot was that they said they uh, wanted the audience to be able to participate in the show. So it wasn't just a question of like, you know, there's a lot of Zoom theater going on right now where it's actors in their homes oftentimes who are performing a play or monologues and just sort of broadcasting it out into the world. But the Geffen was brilliant in realizing that that wasn't enough and that they needed the audience to be able to interact with me and with the whole experience um, so that it shouldn't just be one way, it should really be multi-sensory. And so that was the other thing that we had to try to figure out how to do. That's a that's a pretty uh, big transition from having an in-person uh, staged theatrical yes. performance to having 
you deliver an interactive one-man show from your apartment. (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to take a quick break um, and find out who the sponsor is of this show. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Sri and David Bengali, who is on the production end of how this all evolves. It's it's absolutely a fascinating, intricate, multi-layer tech performance um, to create just what seems to the viewer a very simple live stream. Stay with us. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected. And I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. We are talking about live virtual interactive dinner theater in your home with the Geffen Stayhouse and the current production of Bollywood Kitchen. If you would like to check it out or maybe buy tickets, the place to go is geffenplayhouse.org. The name of the performance is Bollywood Kitchen. It is running through March 6th, 2021. They have a really interesting uh, multi-tier ticket experience. One is the chef's table, two is here for the party and Bollywood foodie, and three is here for the party. And we will talk with the writer and performer Sri Rao, who conceived and created the whole Bollywood Kitchen event, along with David Bengali, who is video designer, director of photography and animation, about what those three types of tickets mean and how they created the experience. It's really quite um, it's quite fascinating to sort of look behind look behind the scenes of this. So, Sri, you are in a New York City apartment. That's right. With an open kitchen and like a nice living dining space. So, how did you restructure the performance? And then, David, tell us tell us what some of the challenges were initially when you were trying to figure out how to create a live performance that could be interactive with people and food. So the concept is, I'll start with the concept and then David can take over with the technology because I don't understand a single bit of the technology. (laughs) The concept (laughs) is that I'm inviting people over to my apartment, my actual apartment for a dinner party on Friday and Saturday night. And it's live um, and you can participate from anywhere in the country or in the world. And, um, And it's a dinner party where we will cook Indian food, listen to Bollywood music, and hear some of the stories about my um, immigrant family experience. And we'll have a couple of drinks, we'll have some dessert, it'll be a fun time. Um, And in order to participate, um, there are different levels, as you describe. One, sort of the highest level is the chef's table where folks are actually interacting with me, where I can see you on my screen and everyone can see you. And it's a 
limited number of tickets. You can ask me questions while we're cooking um, and you're cooking yourself in your in your kitchen as well. Um, the second layer of tickets is what we call the Bollywood foodie. And for that um, ticket, you, you're not seen on screen. So it's for people who might be a little bit more camera shy or just don't want to be on screen. But you are sent a box that includes all of the fragrant Indian spices that you need to cook along as well as all of the non-perishable ingredients to cook the dinner. So it's this really beautiful box that's curated by the Geffen and sent to you with recipe cards and instructions so that you can participate. And I should mention that the chef's table, of course, they also receive that box. Um, And then the third uh, ticket rung is for folks who are not interested in cooking or maybe they do want to cook, but they already have all the ingredients and spices. So they get a streaming only ticket where they don't get the box um, and they're just watching the performance. So at whatever layer um, you're participating, we wanted the experience to be similar in that um, that you're either cooking along or you're watching, but you're really experiencing in terms of smelling and tasting um, the food that I'm making as I'm making it, and and we're all sort of having this party together. So to create that party uh, experience in my actual apartment. Uh, was quite a challenge. And luckily, I didn't have anything to do with executing it. And we had some brilliant uh, designers who managed all of that. So David, tell us, how do you how do you process all these different pieces? I mean, we have all I think everybody who's listening to this podcast right now has had some experience with a FaceTime call, a Zoom call, a Google Hang, uh, you know, Cisco Enterprise, something we've all been streaming things, you know, two way things. Um, so we all have a little bit of an idea of how these things work, but how does it actually work when you're doing something this elaborate? Yeah. So, so this show is like a lot of, um, virtual theater projects that have blossomed and, and, uh, developed ideas of, uh, how to bring performance to people in their homes during the pandemic. It's a kind of merger of, technologies and approaches that we're used to as creators from the theater and film and TV worlds and at-home technology that audiences, as you said, are familiar with and can use to participate on their end in ways that they already have and are, uh, are comfortable doing. So what we have going on is uh, we actually have a little mini uh, film crew in Sri's apartment, um, fully protected with uh, masks, PPE, and maintaining distance, which already adds some challenges to how we're going to capture this performance. We have um, two camera operators and one uh, kitchen assistant. And uh, those folks are are tasked with uh, creating this uh, intimate experience, uh, helping to create this intimate experience by uh, moving around the apartment, capturing Sri on camera, and then we have these camera feeds feeding into a computer system that is using basically theatrical video queuing technology that we've adapted to this environment. So we're using a program called Isadora, which is something that we has traditionally been used for live performance. And then we are feeding that video signal and using that program to composite video animation uh, movie clips, uh, sound, and feeding it into a Zoom call, essentially. And on that Zoom call, we have the chef's table participants as other members of the call, and we can see into their kitchens and what they're up to, and they can have a conversation with Sri in certain parts of the show. So you see that you see that Zoom grid that we're all familiar with. 
That's right. Yeah. And then that Zoom call has another secret participant who's one of the staff from the Geffen located um, in L.A., uh, even though, you know, we're filming everything in, in New York in Sri's apartment. And that participant uh, is switching us back and forth between the gallery view and the speaker view to kind of live edit um, a shift between the chef's table and a focus on Sri. And then that uh person who's in the Zoom call is feeding a capture of that experience into a platform called Stellar, which is the Geffen's online streaming uh, theater event platform, which allows viewers at home who aren't part of the Zoom call to buy a ticket and and uh, view the stream in real time, uh, like you would with any kind of other streaming experience. Okay, so it's like a show within a show within a show. That's right. That's right. <laughs> within a show. Um, how much of this uh, technology had uh, the Geffen figured out um, by the time they got to the Bollywood Kitchen production? And how much of it um, was sort of a trial and error or, or figuring things out? So basically when they came to us, they, they gave us a couple of parameters and said, well, we're going to be on, we're going to be on zoom for part of this because we have this interactive portion and we're going to use this ticketing platform called stellar, but then it's up to all of you what you want to use to feed into those things. So the rest of it was uh, work that we um, did in a kind of a long planning period from the fall through uh, early January and then, of course, as with everything uh, in the world of virtual performance, there was a lot of troubleshooting and figuring out and experimentation on site to figure out what was actually going to work. Uh, and part of that's about, how, you know, how do we coordinate all of these designers and artists and technicians, all of whom, you know, we, we didn't go to Sri's apartment. It wouldn't, wouldn't have been safe uh, or a good idea. Um, so we're all joining this rehearsal and development process from our own homes over a variety of different communication platforms, which you wouldn't even know are yet another layer <laughs> in the technology to make all this happen. Um, and then, as I said, some of the things that we did, um, we just, you know, we took what we knew already. We took uh, techniques and approaches that we've been using in our own art making from before the pandemic and, you know, said, you know, how can we take these things and bend them to this new way of working and this new way of sharing? It's, um, it's a really interesting time right now with the restrictions that we have in terms of the you know, physical distance and the limited physical contact that we have now. But as creative people, both of you, um, I, I would guess that this is also a time of really intense production for both of you in different ways. Have there... I mean, given that this is not something that either of you imagined doing, have... Has it been uh, a valuable or interesting creative process throughout? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're you're really right about what you said, and that, that there's been a lot of this kind of work happening. I think you know there was a there was an early period in the pandemic where uh, everyone thought it wasn't going to go on for very long, and there was sort of stopgap solutions to say, how do we keep making work and how do we keep sharing things and trying to bring people together? But then as this uh, pandemic has extended to, you know, it's almost a year that we've been in this state of the world, we've sh I think we've shifted gears. And I've been involved in, in a lot of virtual theater and virtual performance projects. And I think we're kind of reaching a point, um, and Bollywood Kitchen is a great example of this, where 
instead of saying, okay, how do we do something for just for now until we're doing what we meant to be doing all along, we say, how do we, how do we look at what's happening and figure out what can we, what can we get from this experience and what can we give people through this experience that we wouldn't have thought about trying to do before? And uh, how can we use forms of storytelling uh, that are a little bit new, a little bit different? And how can we take advantage of the fact that people who maybe wouldn't have been able to come see this performance or share space with other strangers can now come together because we are finding ways to make shared space and shared liveness something that can be delivered uh, virtually. And I should say that from a technology perspective, you know, Dave's being a little humble here and I can be a little amazed because I don't know anything about technology. And I was just floored by what he and the rest of the team were able to accomplish in my apartment, you know, because it was just me and the limited crew in the apartment. And the rest of them were all over the country. You know, uh, we had folks in LA and New York and and Seattle, and I don't even know where all, everyone was, um, all of the designers. But they were like, there's over there's 100 and, or 200, I don't know how many cues there are in this show. Like the lighting is constantly changing. The sound is changing. The video is changing um and they're they de- they designed all of it remotely and it's all being called and operated and controlled remotely um while we are sort of alone in my apartment and then all of that is taken and streamed out to the world in different ways as david uh mentioned so it's really amazing and um and quite uh, quite a feat i think well it does the, re- the result is definitely something that looks and feels very seamless. And it does feel, I mean, you are, we are in Sri's apartment and it is very intimate. And um, because you're by yourself and you're cooking and you're talking to people and also, you know, the the Bollywood kitchen story being so personal, it's, it's extremely intimate. And it's intimate in a way that I don't know um, if being in a theater would even give you that level of intimacy mm-hmm. because in a theater you would be aware of the other hundreds or thousands of people who are around mm-hmm. you and you would be aware of the performative nature of it and sri you would probably be you know several hundred feet if not further away from you know me as an audience member right but in the context of sitting in my apartment and just kind of seeing you and having a very close proximity um in a strange way the virtual nature of it i think almost makes it a little bit more intimate and from one point of view it almost makes me think that oh i could just set up my iphone and i could do you know theater because it looks so easy it looks like you just maybe have your computer on the counter there and you're talking to people and, <laughs> you know, like, oh easy, gosh, yeah. you know, it, it, you know, cause it doesn't seem, you know, we're not aware of, you know, the people in multiple time zones who are running, you know, four different tech platforms to make it happen. Yeah. And the other thing about the intimacy is that it actually goes both ways. Um, that, 
I, you're, you're, you're experiencing me in a very intimate way because I'm in my apartment and I'm talking directly to you and you can feel that intimacy. But then there's an intimacy on the other side also, which is that you as the audience member are not sitting in a theater. You're actually sitting in your own home and in your own kitchen. And that fuels the narrative as well because of the particular show that we have created and the particular story that we're telling. You know, it's not like we're doing Macbeth and streaming it to your living room and you're watching from your living room and it's like, okay, this is nice. I can watch it from my living room. We're telling a story about food and about the kitchen and about home, and you are in your kitchen and in your home, so you're able to connect to it on that level. And there is actually, there are sections in the show where the audience is, where I ask audience questions and they are sharing stories about their family and about their memories of food. So um, the intimacy works on both levels, which I think is very specific to Bollywood Kitchen that's different from other virtual theatrical shows. Definitely. And I, I confess that I do like to see other people's kitchens and it's <laughs> yes, really fun part, to see yeah. how people, you know, some people stage their uh, experience. They're at a dining, they're at their dining room table and some people got dressed up and some people are in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And the event that I went to, there was a, a guy in a chef's jacket in his kitchen. Right. So it's maybe like he's a professional <laughs> chef and there was a um, an actor and, you know, a bunch of it's, so there's a part of it where it's, it's really, it's really fun on a lot of different levels. Um, David, I would ask you, um, from the tech side, um, what, what were, what were the biggest hurdle, were the biggest hurdles, the ones you thought they would be, you know, what were the biggest surprises? Was there something that was like a crazy idea that worked seamlessly? (laughs) Well, you know, I think, Of course, the biggest challenge, uh, as Sri was describing, is the fact that we were all remote. We're we're so used to um, making theater and making food as being things that you come together to do in person. And typically very close because real estate in kitchens and back of the house of theater Mm -hmm. is usually small, tight, dark places. And we're not only used to being physically in the same space, we're used to being physically packed in together. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And in this case, being unable to do that, we had to find ways of communicating with each other and describing ideas, both technically and also just like, how do you, like, how do you have a conversation about what a visual idea is when, you know, Sri can't point at another part of the apartment and say, I have this idea about moving over there and and have us see it because all we can see is what we get through the camera feed of the folks who are focused on Sri. So part of the process is about saying, okay, how are we actually going to do this work? How are we going to share ideas with each other? And then how can we make the technology do what we need it to do? Um, And have, having a group conversation and then have, being able to split off and have side conversations. It's funny, it's, that's a thing that happens already in the theater all the time. Everyone's at their own table in the dark, having a conversation. Then we have these radio systems, communication systems where we can kind of punch into different people's conversations. And interestingly, it's kind of the same thing that happens at uh, a dinner party where you might be mm. joining one kind of conversation. You hear something else is going on in another part of someone's home or apartment. You might drift over there make yourself another drink and then join this other conversation. And um, these things that are very natural become very difficult over the internet. And so we ended up um, partway through the process 
having to find uh, and and uh, our, our lighting designer and our uh, production manager both jointly found and implemented this system that was a kind of um, group communication system, kind of like a theater comm system that works over the internet, over people's phones, where we could have six different conversations happening and you could enter or leave any one of them at any time, which again, it's totally natural in, in, in these other contexts that we come from. And yet suddenly when we're all in eight different cities, this was a big hurdle to figure out how do we, how do we do this? We can't just have one giant conversation and make this complicated thing. Um, so I think that was kind of a cool thing, which definitely we're going to use in, in, in future projects. The interesting thing is that so much about taking a real life event, and turning it into a virtual event um, is, is figuring out how to replicate our natural instinct, our natural sort of physicality and how, you know, our ideas connect to where we move in space. You know, the idea of like wandering through a, a cocktail party or regrouping, breaking off, going to the kitchen. We don't even think about those things. Mm-hmm. You know, they're so inherent in you know, just how we, you know, socialize and interact with the world. Um, you know, this it, it, it's a time of really, in a strange way, having to be able to really identify and deconstruct so much of what we do spontaneously or just through instinct, and then how we can translate those actions into something that can be fed through, you know, a Wi-Fi connection. Mm-hmm. I do think that one of the benefits or interesting pieces about all of these virtual events is the accessibility. Um, we did a show last week with Belinda Chang, who is a sommelier, and she's doing virtual sommelier and wine events. And she has an international audience now. Um, she's getting ready to do an event for Lunar New Year. And for the first time in a long time, she'll be doing a Lunar New Year event with friends and family in Asia. Um, she's based in Chicago. So the oh, that's great. accessibility that virtual events have has really been amazing. And I do think that the world was moving in that direction. Um, But from that accessibility point, you know, two questions. Sri, have you had people in India or friends or family like participate or be aware of the event and get to experience that? Is this like greater, greater audience reach something that is, um, you know, really interesting and appealing going forward, even after or when things shift back to some more physically close experience. Yeah, I don't know if we've had anyone from India specifically because the time difference is, again, right. our show is live and, and it's um, 7 o'clock and 10 o'clock in p.m. in New York, which is, you know, early morning in India. But we have had people from Europe and I think we had someone from Singapore at one point um, in Canada, of course. But, the, I, but I will say that also the story is a very American story. It's a very much a story mm. about uh, an American immigrant family. And not to say that that couldn't be relatable to people from other parts of the world, but I am very excited um, that we've been able to connect with folks from all over the country. Like At any given performance, we have on average people from 20 different states um, joining in, and it's usually even more than that. So when does that ever happen even? You know, certainly not, it, it can't happen in traditional theater where 
you know, people are, are joining in from all over the place. You do have to be together. So um, the fact that we're able to um, come together in this way from all over the country, all different ages, we have a lot of older people who, you know, have been mostly sheltered in place for the last year. This is a, a really fun thing for them to be able to do and to interact with other people. We have a lot of families with kids that come and the kids like to cook and, you know, watch these fun musical numbers. And um, so that has been really nice in particular because there is something very universal about my story. My story is about my Indian American family, but every night people are telling stories about their Jewish family who fled the Holocaust and came here from Europe or their East Asian family um, who came here and, and the food traditions that these different families have and the importance of food within immigrant families and how recipes are passed down from one generation to the next and how we try to hold on to them as a way of um, holding on to our culture and to our memories. So that um, experience uh, has really been wonderful of being able to share um, that commonality with audiences from all over the country. David, do you think that these virtual productions are going to be a new category of theater that is just here to stay and is at its beginning stages? Are you are you thinking that you could become like the expert, uh, you know, super desirable video designer for virtual mm-hmm. performances going forward? Do you think this is going to stay? Is it interesting enough for people who are in production and on the artistic side to be almost like a new medium? That's a really good question. Of course, it's impossible to predict what's going to happen when we finally reach the other side of the pandemic. Um, I think on the one hand, the moment uh, people can gather again safely in live theater performances, I think people are going to flock to that. Um, And so... It's not like we're never going to go back to live theater again. However, I think that I do think that virtual performances are going to stick around. I think a couple of things will probably happen. I think, on the one hand, what uh, you were just describing about accessibility is a feature that's really kind of magical about this uh, medium and the idea that we can take um, the intimacy that you can get from. Uh, cameras that we're used to from mediums like film and television and combine that with liveness and the gathering together of people in real time that we're used to from the theater and then distribute that uh, across the country or the world. That's something that's really exciting that I don't think anyone really felt a necessity to figure out and hopefully they'll continue to do. And then I think on the other side, what often happens whenever there's a new way of thinking about making art that happens out of necessity is that pieces of that make their way back into the other forms of creation that we've already been used to. And I think that's the part that is kind of more mysterious to me and in some ways very exciting is to think about like what's going to happen when we can, you know, gather in a restaurant at full capacity or we can gather in a theater without um, empty seats filling the house and what pieces of virtual performance, what combinations of virtual and live and camera and stage and table will kind of come together that we haven't actually thought about yet. It'll be interesting to see. And I think that so much of the, you know, performance and art and community and, you know, innovative ways people are coming up with to come together and share things during this time has really been... Um, the silver lining of, 
you know, the really terribleness of, of the global pandemic. Um, and, hope, you know, things that I think probably many of which will, will stay with us. Um, the connectivity is such an important piece. And um, while we are physically distant, I think there's a lot of these virtual technologies that allow us to be closer in some respects than um, we were uh, previously, um, because it's true, you know, it's, it, you could not have an audience, um, in, you know, multiple time zones for a live theater performance mm -hmm. before we go, yeah. um, and close out the episode, I will ask each of you, um, for a couple tips, um, for people who are in the hospitality world, who are trying to figure out how to translate their real life hospitality experience into something virtual. We have chefs, um, and sommeliers and, and, um, and cocktail people, you know, doing classes, teaching, doing virtual events, um, trying to figure out how to navigate their way through to uh, bringing that experience to their customers' homes. Um, Sri, as a as the person who's doing the performing and the cooking and things like that, what would be your your what would be your top tip for a chef or a restaurant person who's trying to do a cooking class for their customers? I think the thing that I've learned from my experience is to make it personal in some way, in whatever way that means to you, because there is so much food content that's already out there. You know, you can find a video to teach you how to make literally anything in the world at this point. But the thing that I think people do gravitate towards more and that sets, you know, at least this show out from the rest is that there's a personal story around the food and I have a personal connection to it. And that's what I'm sharing with you. So you know, I think that food lends itself so beautifully to um, connection and to personal emotions and to relationships. All of our food memories are associated with that. They're associated with family members or friends or special events or um, or hardships even. So if there's a way that you can be vulnerable about your own connection to food um, and then put that out there for other people to connect with, I think that that is... Um, uh, that could be a really um, interesting way to bring food and technology into people's homes in this particular moment that we're in. And that's saying something coming from the person whose career was primarily based on being behind the camera and that's not in front right. of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. First similar, time performer, putting myself right, out there. Yeah, Similar to, you know, chef and back of the house people. They are back of the house, not front of the house, which is mm -hmm. also kind of theatrical terms. Mm -hmm. David, what would your best advice be to people who are not tech savvy, who maybe have an iPhone and a laptop with a camera, who just have the the Zooms and the Google Hangs and, you know, maybe a ring light at their disposal. What, what's your best advice to people about how to um, make something that looks decent and maybe get to something that looks great? Yeah, I think uh, I would think about a couple of things. One is you know, think about what it is that you have that is special and unique to share. Uh, and at first, rather than focusing on the technology, figure out what experience is it that you want to create? What is it that you want to bring people into and invite them into um, that maybe no one else has thought of or that you really believe in? Uh, and then I think uh, just in a very practical sense, it's really important to figure out who can work with you on that project, even if it's just to be uh, an audience member or you know someone who's going to give you feedback and try out what it's like to be on the other end from your camera feed uh, to uh, other creative partners who can join you in, in making an idea that, it, that maybe takes 
two people when it would be really challenging with one. Uh, and uh, to lean on what you already know and figure out how to extend it to a new situation. And then, you don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, this is something completely new. I've done, never done it before. Think about what you're already an expert in um, and how you can uh, leverage that to, to create an experience with a different format. So it's all about personal and uh, the the unique things, which is what I think restaurant and hospitality are always striving for anyway, and certainly what people in, you know, the arts and the creative fields are striving for also. Um, it comes down to telling a compelling personal story and, and sharing something special with people, which is really what I um, hope we did today. I want to thank Sri Rayo, who is the writer and now performer of Bollywood Kitchen, which was first a cookbook and is now interactive dinner theater at the Geffen Stayhouse. You can find that at geffenplayhouse.org. They are running live shows through March 6th. If you want to follow along online, they're at Geffen Playhouse on Instagram. I also want to thank David Bengali, who is the tech person making it all happen, video designer, director of photography and animation. Um, such an interesting, amazing, complex process to get uh, what seems to be a really simple live stream to your TV or computer. Um, it really, really interesting, great things. And um, to both their points, sharing very personal, very personal stories. Um, Bollywood Kitchen was a lot of fun. Um, it was also much more um, thought provoking and um, intimate than I had anticipated um, because of, you know, just sort of the the fun a uh, festive uh, feeling that you get when you think of Bollywood. So definitely, I think it, I think it achieves that coming to Sri's house for dinner um, effect quite well. If you liked this show and are interested in learning more about virtual events, we did a great show last week, episode 226, with Belinda Chang, sommelier based in Chicago, um, talking about doing virtual wine tasting events. One that she did that she streamed on Twitter got 1.4 million people watching, which is amazing to think about. We have a lot of content, people sharing their personal stories about how they are translating their in real life businesses to virtual businesses. If you liked the show, come back and see us next week. If you love it, go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. If you can't live without it, Go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and give us a donation. Maybe give us what you spent on takeout today. It'll help us make more radio, tell more stories, and stay connected. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. 
Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.